Welcome to the Everyday Ministry Podcast, a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. This is James White, one of the co-hosts here at the Everyday Ministry Podcast. I am all alone in a sense, as in I don't have the other three co-hosts with me. Daniel's wife just gave birth to their first son, second child, not too long ago. And then Jamie and Chris are both pretty busy with things going on in their lives and with the lives of their churches. And so this evening, I'm catching up with Zeb. And we're going to be talking about a book he wrote, and we're really going to dive into this book. I had the opportunity to read it, and it's a fantastic book on worship ministry, but I'm going to allow him to tell you all about just kind of the nature of the book, the purpose of the book, and then we're going to look at some different aspects of it. But before we get to any of that, uh, tell him a little bit about yourself. Sure. I, um, I've i been a worship leader um, vocationally for 12 years. And um, this past July, uh, my wife and I, my family, we um, left vocational ministry in Arkansas, where we're from, and we moved to Dayton, Tennessee, um, to uh, so I could take a professor job um, at Bryan College. And uh, here I'm the professor of worship arts and um, just doing ministry in that setting now and, and loving it. So... <laughs> Is there any way that you currently serve a church that you're a part of? Uh, yes, uh, we, uh, uh, my family, we joined a, a local church here in town, and uh, that was our um, that was our desire when we left vocational ministry. We didn't want to just kind of drift, uh, and we wanted we didn't want to just go to church just to attend. We wanted to jump in and and serve in any way we can. And so um, we found a church very quickly that we loved and. Uh, we joined up with them, and um, I play guitar and sing occasionally on the worship team. And um, and my wife, she's a singer as well. She's on the worship team. And so um, we really uh, just pour ourselves into that avenue of service in our church, and, and we're loving it. You know, we've been leaders for so long in local church. Now we just kind of get to flip-flop and kind of be in the background and be kind of a support to those who are leading now. And right. and uh, so we really love that new role for us uh, that God's called us to at this time. That's awesome. You know, one thing that we kind of make a point often on the podcast here and kind of really the point of our name is that everyone is an everyday minister, right. um, not just ones that are vocationally paid to do that. Not only just vocational pastors or worship pastors or the such, but everyone that is a part of a church and knows Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior is a minister. And mm-hmm. I personally have a high view of the local church, so I really just wanted to get out of out in front of that before we went any farther just to see how you were serving your local church and as we looked at that i know we're kind of going backwards here but if you want to just tell us a brief introduction of how you've come to know christ sure yeah um well i grew up uh i grew up in church i was uh just you know faithfully brought from the time i i was born to all my life and as a as a kid and as a teenager, I, I really kind of started to uh, really kind of hate going to church. I hated most things about it, and it wasn't really necessarily anything about that particular church. I, I think it just honestly was just kind of some spiritual warfare going on within my own own soul. And um, the funny thing, I vowed that <clears throat> when I became an adult that I would never go back to church. You know, I didn't. I never said that 
out loud at the time, but that was, that was my intention. And, and God's great irony and sovereignty, he, uh, he saved me. And not only that, he called me to ministry. And so it's kind of like, uh, God and my mom won that battle. And, um, more specifically how I came to Christ. Um, I, uh, had a friend in junior high, I was ninth grade, 15 years old. Um, and, uh, there was a, a youth event at his church, like just a block away from my house. And, you know, I thought, you know, yeah, I'll go to that. I mean, there, why not? You know, I have nothing else going on. I can just walk there and walk home. <clears throat> and I remember the uh, youth pastor stood up in front of the crowd and, and they had a, an evangelist in that night. And he said, you know, he's telling us that he was excited. We were all there and the guy speaking was going to have something to say to us that is going to potentially change our lives. And I remember thinking, uh Oh, yeah, that's not why I showed up tonight. You know, I didn't want my life changed. I was, I was good with how it was going. And, um, you know, that, that rang true, you know, that night God, uh, showed me that I, I really didn't have Christ and I desperately needed him. And, um, and it was that night he, he saved me and, uh, that was 15 and that was ninth grade. All right. So you want to tell us how long ago that was? Yeah, that was a uh, year 2000, February of 2000. I think it was February 16th. I think that was the exact date. Um, and so just last month I celebrated my 18th, uh, year as a, as a follower of Jesus. So that's awesome, man. So what made you decide to write a book? Yeah. Um, well, I've always dabbled in blogging and, you know, I just, it, that's always been kind of a creative outlet for me. And it really, um, the concept behind the book, uh, kind of spurred, um, on some curiosity and I just decided I wanted to really kind of start studying the topic, um, on my own. And, I became so fascinated with that very quickly that it was kind of something like, man, I just cannot keep this to myself. You know, the things I'm learning in God's word about how our worship songs uh, shape our thoughts and beliefs about God. You know, I'm just seeing such a consistent thread through scripture. I just cannot keep this to myself. And um, I just started collecting my thoughts, collecting my research and worked on it in spurts, really, um, over about four years. Um, it should take less time to write a book than that, but, uh, you know, I just kind of had to go when I had time. And um, So, yeah, that's, that's where the idea uh, behind writing a book came out of, is just uh, curiosity in my own soul. And then, um, you know, I just, once I, I'm learning these things, I just couldn't keep it bottled up. You know, I had to find some outlet to uh, share what I've learned in God's word. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the book, you know, tell everybody the name and the subtitle and uh, kind of the purpose behind the book and really, you know, what are some things that you would like the readers to take from the book as they walk away from it? Right. Um, the title is the singing teacher, how the worship leader shapes the theology of the church. And, um, it's uh, I really kind of trace through how um, songs in Scripture have been used to 
teach people about the character of God, the nature of God, the works of God. And um, I, I tried to uh, take as many examples as possible um, uh, that I could find through Scripture of how that thread has uh, rang true. And, um, you know, I got to, it, it really taught me, you know, there's sometimes as a worship leader, you know, we can feel like there's not much eternal substance in our ministry. Like, for example, you know, we're, we're called to, to lead worship in the moment. But then sometimes we're thinking like, you know, man, I don't get to be the one on the platform uh, verbally preaching the gospel or, or, you know, I'm not like the senior pastor where who gets to counsel most of the, the people coming to, to know Christ in the church. Or, or I'm not, you know, as a worship pastor, I'm usually not the one baptizing. And, and so, you know, sometimes <clears throat> it can feel like our ministry ends as soon as the Sunday morning service is dismissed. And that's really not true at all. You know, I, I began to discover, you know, just how much of a lasting impact our songs have on people. And, you know, some of the examples that I, I thought of is, is, you know, how, how many uh, Alzheimer's and dementia patients forget the names and faces of their own kids, but in their last moments of life, they can still sing the hymns and the songs from their childhood. And another example is, is uh, of Jesus. You know, when he was hanging on the cross, uh, we know uh, that he said at least seven things. Seven things are recorded in Scripture that he said while on the cross. Two of those sayings are from are direct quotes from the Psalms. And, you know, that's another huge thing that I thought, you know, in Jesus's dying moments, in his last moments here on earth, before he um, before he he passed away, his heart and his mind reflected on songs that he sung in worship to the Father as he was a little boy growing up. You know, and um, that was just some very uh, powerful um, realizations for me. You know, long after the Sunday morning service is over, long after our tenure at churches are over, um, our impact in the songs that we choose and the songs that we lead with is going to stay with the people that we lead and it's going to stay with them their whole life. And in many cases be a comfort in their dying moments. And you know, that, that is just a huge uh, encouragement to me as a worship leader that, you know, what we do on the platform on Sunday morning really does have eternal and lifelong value to it. Well, you know, you say all that, and as I was reading the book, I got to the part where you're talking about the impact of music in individuals' lives. And I know you you quoted some several studies and things of such in the book, and the readers can go and look at that. But really, when you got to that point, part about the Alzheimer's and the dementia patients, you know, I have a grandfather that passed away of Alzheimer's, and it's an exact, you're exactly right. I can think back to, you know, even when he forgot his own wife's name, my grandmother's mm. name, he could still sing, you know, hymns that he's heard, or even uh, we would, they would put like a Billy Graham CD or Gaither CD in his room and play it, and he would sing along with it. And those are songs that he's learned since his mm. kids were born. So yeah. even the impact then, you know, I think, uh, man, what an honor like that God entrusts worship leaders with that 
you know, like as horrible as that disease is and as horrible of a thing it is that that disease causes uh, people to forget names mm-hmm. and faces, man, like what has God entrusted us with that they'll forget those things, but they'll remember mm-hmm. the songs that we lead them in. I mean, that, that's so, such an incredible responsibility, um, such a... Um, such a big deal it's so it goes far beyond just throwing together a few songs mm-hmm. every every week you know this really is about shepherding someone's uh, heart and soul yeah um, all through their life well and you you may also made that connection of you know in the moments of christ's death where he quotes the psalms and he's reflecting on these psalms you know thinking about even the point of your book is the singing teacher is the fact that Christ is even pointing out that he is the response. He is this prophecy being fulfilled that David or whoever the psalm was, was singing about. Yeah. And so, some, you know, the theology that comes out in our songs is crucial as we sing them. Uh, not only remembering the songs, because we can, as you, you make this point throughout the entire book, we can remember the songs all day long, but if it's faulty theology, then it's not helping us at all. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that was part of my uh, intention of writing the book is uh, not only to encourage uh, worship leaders with, uh, how, you know, how much of a responsibility and privilege our ministry is, but um, just how much uh, attention we really do need to pay to the songs and the content of the songs that we that we choose. You know, there there are a lot of great songs that are great musically, and we may have sung them all of our lives without really thinking twice about it, but. Um, I think um, we should really give a second look to every single song that we lead our congregation in. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of that, um, it's going to come with constant um, Bible training, Bible study personally and, and um, corporately. Um, and I, I think even recruiting a team of trusted people around you, whether that's either in your church or a network of fellow ministers and and we, we really need to start having some serious conversations mm-hmm. about the content of our of our songs. Um, you know, we're, we're in a time now where we have access to more worship songs than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can we pull from all kinds of um, of sources. And that's great in one in one instance. But also, I think it uh, because of that, we. Um, we should be even more discerning about the songs and the content that we Mm -hmm. sing. And so we need to really look over these with a fine tooth comb and um, because uh, of what's at stake on Sunday. And I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's the biggest thing about your book that resonated with me. And I'm going to get on this topic later. I want to talk about the book and then we're going to come back to some topics, but you know, I think it's important that so myself as a senior pastor for church that I be involved in the selection of songs. Um, when we get to that later, when we get to how a worship pastor can work well with a senior pastor or a teaching pastor mm-hmm. of the sense, uh, whoever's preaching on Sunday mornings, uh, who how they can work together to make sure they are preaching um, not only biblical songs, but practical songs for their congregation. Yeah. Um, but really when I, read through the book and I was trying to think about what I wanted to talk to you about. There was three chapters in your book that just stood out to me more than any other, any of the other chapters. Um, and maybe there's one that I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to mention that maybe, I don't know 
if it's picking a favorite chapter of your book, like picking a favorite child, I'm not sure if you can do that or not, but maybe there's a chapter <laughs> that you enjoyed writing the most, but uh-huh. the, the three chapters that I really enjoyed were seeing like a teacher, seeing like a theologian, and then seeing like shepherds, not showmen. When you went through the process of writing about this idea of singing like a teacher, really, what, what was going through your mind and what did you want to convey to the audience that you're writing to? I really wanted to uh, really kind of communicate my heart as a as a minister. I always have always felt like I've been a uh, teacher first and a musician second. And, um, you know, I think that's always been my primary calling, even though I was a musician long before I was a a minister. And so that that chapter is really a call to kind of having a bigger vision uh, for our ministries. Uh, We're not just musicians for hire. We're not just song leaders, um, but we really are ministers of the word who just happen to use the medium of music. And so that's that's the biggest thing that I really wanted to try to communicate in that chapter is that that, um, yeah, we are music ministers, but primarily we're ministers of the word, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're we are where a pastor is preaching the word. We're we're singing the word. You know, mm-hmm. we're 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 leading the congregation to memorize scripture by singing God's word back to him. We're right. we're teaching about the character and nature and works of God by singing about those things. And so it's a call to intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, where we might be intentional about um, the musical flow of the, the service and all of those things are important and good. Um, but we also need to uh, be intentional about the content. I think one, one point I made in, the, in that chapter is, uh, you know, just as a pastor, we'll... Um, map out kind of a preaching calendar, you know, what, you know, you know, what would they want to teach their church over the next three months or six months or what series do you want to go to? I, I really call worship pastors to do, the, to do the same, you know, evaluate, okay, what doctrines do we need to be singing in our church in this next season? You mm-hmm. know, what are some aspects of, of truth that maybe we haven't, um, haven't been doing, you know, there, there've been times where I've thought, you know, we, we haven't, um, sung about or spoken about the Trinity in a while. The next three months, I really want to sing about the Trinity or maybe singing about um, God's justice. You know, that, that's an attribute of God that I feel like people haven't really learned recently. And so maybe the next three months, we're going to sing songs that are heavy on that attribute. And, you know, it's just, again, it's just a call to intentionality think out your uh, your worship services just like you would be a, a preaching series um you know that's a, that's the big thing behind that that chapter yeah you know i think back to when i was reading the book there was a i actually put this on a few of my social medias uh platforms i quoted you and i it's a kind of a long quote so i apologize listeners but i want to read it to you um it says imagine you were a young israelite sitting on your grandfather's knee as he described what he saw that day when he himself was a little boy as your grandfather began to sing that song that he was taught to him by moses what truths about god would be passing down to you your grandsons and your granddaughter what would you learn about God's character and nature based on this song? You would learn that God is our strength or or song or salvation. He is glorious and powerful. He is great and majestic. 
There is no one like him, and he is holy. He has love, and he is the redeemer, and he will reign forever and forever. You know, I wanted to quote this because this is just something that stood out to me about the book. It's just because I've never thought about it. You know, I, I've thought about mm-hmm. worship in a lot of ways, but the you know I thought about the the role of the one leading worship as teaching the congregation, but actually looking through the songs of the Old Testament and New Testament to see how they teach of God. I never thought about that or even crossed my mind until I read this chapter. And it's just amazing truth here is, you know, what is conveyed, you know, teaching these songs mm-hmm. to your children, you know, and, and they stick, you know, it's, yeah. you, I think, I believe you make this point in the, a, a different chapter, but how singing sticks with an individual, you know, even the point of when we teach a child how to recite the alphabet, we put it to a tune. Yeah. And, and so it's crucial. Okay. So when you look at this idea as singing like a theologian, I guess my question would be is how does this differ from singing like a teacher? Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I felt it was important to make those two separate chapters. You know, singing like a teacher is more uh, of kind of an outward expression. You're mm-hmm. you're teaching the congregation. And, but I also wanted uh, to piggyback off of that and have more of a self-reflecting chapter. Okay. You yeah. know, we can't be an effective teacher if we're not growing as theologians, you know, and we're not growing as students ourselves. And um, that's a chapter, again, um, you know, just as a call to discernment and and growth in our knowledge of the Lord and knowledge of the word. And um, I feel like, um, you know, we should be uh, masters of our craft, um, whether we're singers, guitar players, uh, keyboard players, you know, the Bible calls us to excellence musically. Um, but with that, I think we should also strive to be masters of our Bible as well. And mm-hmm. I mean, that'll be a lifelong pursuit. We'll never completely uh, um, know everything there is to know in the in the scriptures. But we should be not only competent musicians, but competent Bible scholars as well. You know, if if you're a great musician and then someone comes up to you and asks you questions about the gospel and you you have no idea how to to navigate through that, that's a serious issue. That's a serious uh, uh, room for improvement. And so I feel like um, someone who is the second most visible minister in the church, being the worship leader, um, they should be competent enough in the scriptures to give uh, biblical direction, biblical counsel um, to to anyone who who may need it, because I mean it's a significant position of influence. Mm-hmm. And so, if someone comes to the worship leader, um, that guy that guy or gal needs to know their way around the Bible as much as possible. And so, mm-hmm. that's really what that chapter is about. It's just a call to uh, continued growth and a continued study. And, um, and and a, a call to discernment. I really appreciated this chapter in this book, not only for worship ministers, uh, ones leading in song, but also just for pastors in general. I mean, you are leading and preaching and singing and teaching and all of these things out of the outflow of your personal relationship with Christ and your your walk with God per se. Mm. And really that's what it means to be a theologian. It's one that is seeking to understand God better. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I think we put a lot of, 
uh, we put this idea of theology in a box where it means that you open it up a systematic or biblical theology and studying it each and every day. And that's what a theologian is and definitely helps um, definitely aids one in understanding God's word better. But mm-hmm. a theologian is just simply somebody that is seeking to understand God and his word better. And right. we have to flow from that because mm-hmm. if oh, as a worship pastor, if you don't flow from that, and I didn't plan this segue and I didn't plan this transition by no stretch of the imagination. But when a worship pastor, in my opinion, does not lead uh, from a personal relationship with Christ, a personal theology, then it kind of leads to this next issue that you address in the book, in the chapters that I really stood out to me was this idea of singing like a shepherd and not a showman. Um, yeah. And uh, I would say that personally, you may disagree and you're probably more of a professional in this area than I am. Uh, I would say that one area of a weakness of my many lead from seeing like showmen is because they don't have that theological strength behind them at yeah. time to time. Cause yeah. a low view of a low view of God causes a high view of self and causes issues when you're on the stage week in and week out. You're right. Yeah, without a proper understanding of God, I mean, the things, all things will get completely out of whack. And even like, um, you know, those of us that do understand the concept of having a high view of God and a proper view of self, I mean, we forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, being on the platform um, in any kind of uh, medium, whether it's uh, musical, preaching, whatever, what have you, um, sometimes we can start believing our own press and, um, you know, when people want to encourage us and tell us what a good job we did, you know, sometimes if we if we don't have keep ourselves in check, um, that stuff can really start to affect us in the flesh. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I felt that was a necessary um, a necessary chapter because we're going to miss this entire thing about being singing teachers if we get captivated with um our pursuit of our own praise you know Mm -hmm. we're gonna we're not going to have this kind of lasting impact that i want us all to have if um if we start becoming showmen and uh you know i I allude to john the baptist i've always been fascinated with john the baptist and and i've always seen um a uh, a connection to his ministry and his lifestyle um as it pertains to worship leading even though he wasn't I don't, we don't know if he was musical or not. He may have been, who knows, but I've always kind of seen some parallels with, uh, John the Baptist and something that I found really, I find fascinating with him is, you know, he's out in the wilderness, he's preaching for who knows how long he's developing a following, having, you know, the God's blessing his ministry, seeing converts. Then all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene and some of John's, followers leave him to go follow Jesus. And, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays, I mean, it, we've all seen this in churches, you know, people that we invest our lives into and then something will happen and they'll move down, the, you know, to the church down the street. And that always stings a little bit. It always does. And, um, but what John didn't do, he didn't throw a fuss. He didn't uh, try to coax them back to his um, inner circle what he said, he said, this makes my joy complete. Mm-hmm. Um, he being Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And 
that's what our role is as worship leaders. It's not for us to increase. It's not for us to look great and sound great. It's, it's for Jesus to increase and be made known by his people and by people who don't know him. And, mm-hmm. um, it, the, the goal is not for us to be known, you yeah. know, our, the goal is not for us to, um, to develop disciples of ourselves. Um, it's to develop disciples of Jesus. And so that's the heart behind that chapter. And, and that's, that's a chapter I really did enjoy, uh, writing. And uh, well, I, I enjoyed writing all of them, but that one, that one in particular is kind of special to me. All right. So I want to, I want to kind of <clears> move <throat> away from the book and kind of just talk about some practical sides of ministry and then allow my listeners to go and purchase the book and read it for themselves. But before we do that, do you have anything else you want to add about the book or maybe a chapter you want to highlight or anything you want to say about it whatsoever? Um, no, I just, uh, I, I wrote this with the intention of it being an an easy read and, uh, you know, it's, it's a shorter book and, um, that's by design. I really wanted to, uh, um, for people to be able to have small group discussions around the Mm -hmm. book. And, um, if worship pastors, uh, felt led to, to have their worship teams, uh, read and discuss the book together. And so, um, that's really my heart um, behind the book. And um, I really wanted to encourage uh, worship leaders, worship musicians, singers, choir members, anybody involved in worship ministry in any um, in any degree. I really wanted this to be an encouragement to them and to make them feel um, um, confident in what God has called and equipped them to do. And so Well, I think you accomplished that well. You know, the one thing that really stood out to me, though, and it may not be the right way of wording it, but more of this conversational or style of writing, where the way you wrote it, it wasn't, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but it wasn't an an academic style of writing. It wasn't cut and dry. It wasn't point after point, but it laid out some great truths about being a singing teacher. And so yeah. I really enjoyed the book because it was an easy read. You know, I, I remember when I actually sat down to read it, I read the first, I think, two or three chapters without even realizing I had read two or three chapters. <laughs> and so it was just an enjoyable, easy read, but one that was also very informative and pointed out some fantastic things about worship. And um, and I know you didn't say this, but uh, I think it'd be good for anybody in a church to read, even if they're not involved in the actual formation of the worship service or uh, involved it in any way, because I think it would actually aid them in understanding their purpose in worship and Mm. what to look for in their worship leaders. Yeah. And so uh, I would recommend this book highly to anyone in the church, but I would say it is good as you pointed out for those that are directly involved in leading worship, uh, whatever that capacity may be. But as we kind of get off the subject of the book to really just talk about worship, I want to tackle this in two ways. I want us to talk to the senior pastor, per se. I know every church may call that role something different. And I want to talk to the worship leader. Mm-hmm. And really, we're going to treat you as the guru of worship leaders, okay? <laughs> and so you may not be ready for this because this is not on the handout I gave you. (laughs) But when we think about worship pastors or worship leaders, however you want to word that, how can they best work with the preaching pastor on Sunday morning 
to really set up a worship service that reflects the glory of God to the yeah. best of their ability? That's a good question. Um, you know, every team like that, the dynamics are different, you know, mm-hmm. for every, you know, every senior pastor is unique. Every worship leader is unique. Um, I think it's important for guys like me to remember that, you know, we're in uh, a support role. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're in charge of looking over our our corner of the church ministry, but the senior pastor is um, responsible for all of it, to oversee all of it. And so uh, we need to keep that in perspective that, you know, we're, we have a vision for our ministry, but also we're called to have a vision to, on how to accomplish our senior pastor's vision. And so um, one thing I would say is, is learn your senior pastor, um, kind of his uh, method and philosophy of, of leadership. Uh, you know, I've had, uh, you know, situations where the pastor's very much hands off and I've had situations where the pastor's very much hands on. And so you, just, uh, I would encourage you to figure out, um, where his sweet spot is with that. And, um, I think it's, um, always important for the pastor to at least know where you're going before Sunday morning actually gets there even if you're more of a hands-off uh, type, um, have some kind of uh, at least information before, you know, mm-hmm. it's happening right in front of you. And so um, with that being said, I think th- it, it would be valuable to uh, bounce song ideas off of the pastor, especially if you're l- looking into uh, working in new songs, you know, and just, if you just kind of, th- it's just always helpful to have somebody with a different set of eyes uh, looking at things, you know, there, mm-hmm. nobody's theology is perfect. Uh, there might be something questionable in a song that, that I might not catch, but if I were to give it to, um, someone else, they might catch something. And so I think there's a lot of value in, in some kind of collaboration between a, a worship leader and a pastor. I think it's also a luxury to the senior pastor if they can trust their worship leader, you know, if they if they don't have to worry about uh, them singing something um, mm-hmm. theologically uh, questionable. And so, you know, to some extent, I, I think um, it would be a luxury to the pastor and a luxury to the worship pastor if the worship pastor can can prove himself in that way and, and mm-hmm. earn that trust from the senior pastor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, every 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 uh, duo is going to be different. And you just kind of, kind of find your sweet spot on what works best for that team. And, and, and always remember, you know, we're in a support role, you know, mm-hmm. and so he's going to set the pastor's going to set the pace for uh, what that dynamic looks like. You know, I, I don't have a bunch of experience working with uh, worship leaders in my, I've been in ministry for just a little over seven years in pastoral ministry for, for a little over five. And, um, you know, I really, a little, little over four years, I'm sorry, not five, a little over four years. And um, the, there's a guy that I got the opportunity to serve with. He's actually helping us out now for a short period of time. And uh, me and him, we got to the point where, you know, I preach eschatically verse by verse through the books of the Bible. <laughs> so a year out, I know where I'm going to be week in, week out. And so we got to the point where we, you know, we would communicate, we would sit down and we would take an hour long uh, meeting and just talk about life, what's going on with each other. And then we would plan out the worship service for a month 
And most of the time that was him picking out every song that was mm-hmm. him doing every bit of that. Um, but it was just the process of bouncing it off of one another. You know what, where I'm going at with that scripture, where the direction's going to be. Um, and I found that that worked really well together just because it was communication now. Um, and, and I try to do the same thing for him. If I had my sermon ready with a period of time, a good time beforehand, he would have a copy of my sermon, you know, the week before, if I had it ready or three days before, whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, I say all that to say is, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said every duo is, is done is different. And so yeah. the importance is really just communicating, talking to one another, uh, figuring out how that works together, how you work together, how you can accomplish that together. Um, but as we're still talking about the worship leaders, um, what is your suggestion or what kind of maybe what was your process when you used to choose songs when you were leading week in and week out? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of different things. Um, you know, I wasn't always locked in to the, um, to the message. Um, but I did want to know what the pastor is preaching on because I, like, for example, if, if he's preaching on, um, tithing, there are a lot. Of, it's really hard to find good worship songs on tithing. There's yeah. just not a lot of them written. Um, so you know, su- Sundays like that, I wouldn't necessarily lock into the sermon. But if he was preaching on the resurrection of Christ, I mean, you, you can bet I'm locking into that. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and so you know, I would uh, a sermon topic, sermon uh, theme would definitely be one that um, I would look at. Um, I would also one thing that um, when I was in vocational worship ministry that I love doing is I would always do this about every January, February. Um, I would kind of theme my songs around attributes of God. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, one week we'd be singing about God's mercy uh, one week about God's love next week about, you know, and so on and so on. And I, I kind of made that a part of my annual liturgy, so to speak. And um, I always enjoy doing that. Um, and so th- that was always kind of a factor in my planning. Um, and, you know, it really kind of depended on to, you know, what songs I was teaching that year, mm-hmm. you know, what, what songs I wanted our congregation to learn and work in our repertoire. And, and, uh, so I always tried to be, um, intentional in that way. And, and that kind of helped whatever song we were learning that also kind of influenced the other songs that I would um, put around it as well. And yeah. so those are, those are, uh, some of the key factors for me that okay. I always, um, I always took in consideration when I was planning. So in my current situation, so I'm at a church that's, um, be nine years old in August and I, I didn't plant the church. I come in three years, three and a half years after it was planted. And, um, the guy that led worship for me that I was speaking of earlier, it was first time he ever was a worship leader. Now he did D nows and youth weekends and things of the such, but never a regular weekend week out thing. And the way I read a book on the different, uh, styles of, of liturgy throughout church history. Um, and really what we kind of settled on was this idea of just presenting the gospel through our songs on yeah. Sunday morning. And so the first song being an adoration song where it declares the who God is. The second one, a confession song, confessing who we are uh, as humans. The third song uh, being an assurance song of you know what Christ has done for us. The fourth thing being a thanksgiving for uh, after he has saved and redeemed us or just thankfulness for that. 
Um, and I kept saying song, but I want to correct myself. It would be either a song or a scripture or uh-huh. a prayer or some area that addressed that. And the only, really the only time that we tied in the worship, the sermon scripture or topic into the worship service was um, we did practice this thing. Um, what we kind of referenced it to was a spiritual song because we do see, is it Colossians 116? What it talks Three, about? 316. Yeah. 316, mm-hmm. which is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Mm-hmm. And um, I may be translating that badly, but really take from that is that there's, a, though it's not a, necessarily a form of worship per se, and but there isn't a need for spiritual songs in our life because they portray different theological topics or right. things that we need to hear. And so we would have that during the offering time where mm-hmm. we took up offering, reflected on worship through giving, but also a time that maybe connected that song to the sermon or the reflection song at the very end. And so that's kind of our process. Um, but like you said, everybody's process is different. Um, I think it's just important to understand what you, what you want to do and have it like you, we were talking about earlier is, you know, have an idea of where you want to take your people week in and week out throughout the year. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more thing, and then we can talk about anything you may want to talk <laughs> about. Is and this is going to flip the script to talking to uh, preaching pastors or senior pastors. Is how can they ensure that their congregation are being led through worship well if they don't have a trained worship leader? So they have a a gentleman that's led led the congregation in worship for the last 15 years where Aunt Sue played the piano or something. How can a pastor be involved in making sure that their congregation are selecting songs and doing things correctly? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, there are a lot of churches uh, in that situation and um, and there are more and more um, Mm -hmm. situations like that arising. But um, yeah, I think um, it would be good to... uh, um, for the church to budget for that, um, for that worship leader to have, um, you know, resources like, um, books, hopefully they would be in a posture of learning. Um, all good leaders are going to be good learners. And so hopefully they are, um, they're hungry for growth and, and knowledge of the, the field. And so I would encourage churches to make sure that they can, uh, resource that that leader, especially if they're volunteer. I mean, they're they're volunteering a lot of their time and energy to do mm-hmm. that, and that's where they might not be able to comp- compensate them with a paycheck. You know, they can compensate them with you know a modest book budget or a conference budget. Um, I think that um, it would be good for the pastor, like like we said earlier, you know, just to kind of have some kind of open, consistent dialogue. Um, um, uh, a pastor might want to um, c- ensure that you know he signs off on all uh, worship mm-hmm. services, um, and so you know I think it, I think just kind of a con- like like you said and I said we, just a continual dialogue throughout the week as they as they plan and and um, I think that I mean you, you I'm kind of this is not good job security for me to say this um, being a professor um but you don't having formal training is good Um, i think Mm -hmm. it's good but not everyone is in a situation where they can get that Um, but it just because you're not in a situation where you 
um, can get a degree in worship arts, it doesn't mean that you can't do your job faithfully and, and do it with excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just takes uh, a posture of learning and um, a humble spirit and someone that's uh, um, always willing to, to do their best and to give God and the church their best. And so um, if, if, you, if a pastor's out there and they have that situation where their worship leader is just um, a layman that just volunteers, you know, there's nothing wrong with that in the world. Um, I would just, uh, I would just make um, intentional steps to, to invest in that leader, and so that they feel valued, and that they can be given the tools to, to grow in their craft. I agree. You know, I think it's really same thing you're saying, just a different level, different idea of it is when you go in there as a pastor and you have a layman that's in there or any kind of worship leader and you don't feel comfortable with the theology of the song that's being sung, you know, don't go in there and just demand that we're not going to sing this song anymore. We're not going to do it in this way or whatever the case may be, but actually sit down and show the individual through scripture why this song is incorrect. Right. Um, Because there's a lot of songs out there really that they're not necessarily incorrect or just complete heresy, but they're just, wrong in just a small way mm-hmm. um and i may cut this out because i don't know the name of the song and i really hate hating on songs <laughs> but there was a, a song not too long ago that um and you may know it as soon as i say it it's got the line that he didn't want heaven without me yeah um the rest of the song's really good actually yeah. it was just that one little bitty line there that i have an issue with because right i have a god that was perfectly satisfied within the trinity so yeah. It's not that he was wanting a relationship with me so bad he created me. It's just right. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that line did. I mean, the rest of the song is awesome and so Christ-centered. Yeah. Um, it's just that one line didn't quite fit, in my opinion, with the theme of the rest of the song. And so, mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, with if it wasn't for that, you know, yeah. it would have been a nearly perfect song, you know, and. Um, so yeah, I'm with you on that. That's kind of one I've done that song a few times and I always kind of tweak that, that line. Well, um, as we get towards the end of the podcast, mainly because my computer is on 6% and, um, pretty sure I have, I hear my infant crying as Mm -hmm. we sit here and talk. Um, we kind of end every week with this idea of the plugs of the week. And so, now, Zeb, you can't plug your own book. That would just be uh, self-gratifying. <laughs> um, but I'll plug it for you in just a moment. But do you have any any plugs for the listeners uh, in the area of worship ministry or just a plug of any kind? It could be a favorite app you have right now or it could be a TV show. It could be just anything you want to tell us about. Oh, anything. I was already kind of thinking through um, worship books. Oh, um, you can give that too. Okay. Well, I'll do that. That'll be an easier, easier choice. Um, it, this is a few years old, but a uh, phenomenal book. Um, it's written by a number of authors, uh, Matt Boswell being, I think, the main one, but he has several friends that uh, contribute it. But um, it's, uh, it's a song called Doxology and Theology. And uh, it's kind of through the same vein of, uh, of my book, but man, it's, it's a just an incredible um, perspective on um, on our worship in the church and and uh, what it means to uh, the Lord and what it means for us as worshipers and 
Um, so if I had to tell you one book to go out and get this week, that would be the one. Awesome. Well, guys, you, you hear from the, the professional himself, the author himself, <laughs> he recommends the book. I do want to recommend, and not just because we have him on the episode today, um, I do want to read the, recommend this book, and he's going to tell us in just a moment of how you can find the book, how you could find him on social medias and things of the such. But really want to recommend this book because I read it, and not only did I read it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, because I, I reached out to him and I, I offered it, you know, because he was, um, I saw that he was releasing a book. I thought it'd be cool to have him on the podcast. And I, I really just wanted to figure out how I could purchase the book to read it to see if I'd want him on there. And, um, and, and so I kind of jumped the gun a little bit, but then I read it. I was like, I'm so glad we're getting him on here because mm. fantastic book on worship ministry, uh, fantastic book on thinking about your role as a worship pastor differently. And I would even encourage you as, maybe senior pastors out there to read this book to understand the role of that person you have underneath you that his role is or her role is to lead the church in worship and it's more than just singing three songs and uh sitting down to sing another one at the very end of the service it's teaching and preaching the gospel to your congregation week in and week out um so zev as we get off here uh tell us the best ways to find the book and then tell us how we can catch up with you on social media Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find the book at, uh, Amazon, um, uh, at barnesandnoble.com. Um, my favorite way for you to get it is if you, uh, if you get it through those other two mediums, um, I don't really have any dealings with that, uh, with those, my publisher hand, handles that. But if you, um, purchase it directly through me, um, then I will be the one to physically ship it to you. Um, and you can do that through my website, and it's vitalworshipgroup.com, and that's a that's a website of my uh, uh, worship consulting ministry that I have on the side. And so, if you order it through there, uh, there's a PayPal link right at the front of the page of vitalworshipgroup.com, and um, you can order it, and I will be the one to send it uh, through the mail to you. Uh, my social media is was that the next question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, um, and it's just my name, at Zeb Ballantyne, uh, Ballantyne's one, one L. Um, you can find my Vital Worship page on Facebook and on Instagram at Vital Worship Group. And those are, um, those are my uh, uh, social media. Or you can just uh, friend request me on Facebook, and um, I could... You can see all my postings about my crazy kids and all the goofy things they do and say. And and uh, so, yeah, that that's where I am on social media. Well, also, man, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. I enjoyed it. I, I hope we gave uh, the listeners a good balance of kind of a, a, a presentation of the book as well as some practical things to take from just a conversation between two men that love the Lord and love the worship of uh, his people for him. And so as we get ready to go off here and uh, in the recording, do you have anything you want to add before we jump off? Uh, no, um, not really. Um, I, I would appreciate it if uh, your listeners did buy the book. If, you know, I mentioned earlier, my intention was for small groups to go through this book together. If, um, if you do have desire to do that, uh, contact me and I will give you a, a discount. Um, if you if you plan on purchasing purchasing the book for a group, and so 
um, just give me a heads up on that if anybody wants to um, use it as, in a small group discussion. Awesome. Y'all hear that there. Get a book, read it. If you think it's going to impact your church greatly, do a small group on it for everyone in. Reach reach out to him directly, and he'll give you a small discount on that. I don't think that offer is through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, so you want to right. hit him up directly. So, but man, thanks again for being on here, and for the listeners out there, we hope you enjoyed this episode and go and buy his book. Uh, I think it's a fantastic book for you to buy. Easy and quick read, an audio book or something of it at some point. Any yeah. chances of that? Uh, maybe, maybe we'll see if there's, uh, if I get enough, uh, requests and demand for it, maybe I'll, uh, consider doing that, um, at some point, or maybe okay. I'll get Morgan Freeman to read it for me. He's got a better voice than I do. I think. Yeah. Well, you'd have to sell <laughs> a lot of books to get Morgan Freeman to do it yeah, for you. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, this has been an episode of the everyday ministry podcast and we're a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. God bless. If you're encouraged by what you hear, please go like our Facebook page, share the episodes, and rate the podcast on iTunes. Don't forget that a new episode drops every first and third Mondays. Our prayer is that these episodes are an encouragement to you and that you would be faithful in the ministry that God has placed you in. Heading back to my roots and all the way